Hello and welcome to a brand new episode on the Fintech Magazine podcast. We are very lucky this week to be talking to two guests, co-founder and CFO Fernando Ruz and senior compliance analyst Carlos Bernos at the company Cambista. The Fintech startup is based in Peru and has so far been running for three years. We find out more in this episode about the company's approach in digital currency exchange in Peru versus the rest of the world. We also find out about the main challenges within a digital startup, plus more. For the latest updates, be sure to subscribe and follow at FintechMag. So um, I suppose to start it off, if you could give a bit of an introduction to your background and let's go from there. Sure. Um, first of all, it's nice to be here. So, well, my name is Fernando Ruiz. I'm a co-founder of Cambista. I am... I studied economics from in Universidad del Pacifico in Peru, and uh, I've mainly worked in different areas related to finance, did a little bit of public policy at some point, and now I'm CFO of Cambista. I don't know, Carlos, you can introduce yourself now. Hi, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Um, my name is Carlos Fernos. Um, I'm also an economist from Universidad del Pacifico. I specialize in compliance and in Cambista, I am in charge of, I'm a compliance analyst, so I'm in charge of compliance. So, And uh, I've been in the firm since March and well, this means, this year has been really challenging uh, from a compliance perspective, especially with the COVID around. Yeah, that seems to be at the moment something which um, we in general are kind of witnessing in the fintech industry, how 2020 is really throwing a curveball um, to pretty much every every department in fintech, whether it's compliance, um, banking, anything which really is kind of, I suppose, would you say it's a challenge of learning how to adapt in the situation at the moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge because we were used to a system where we worked in offices and now we're working from our homes. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, we in the firm are uh, 30 people in total. And it's amazing because in, in March, uh, we were 23. And one was expecting that, you know, this COVID situation could affect, you know, the, the amount of people working in the firm. But, you know, it uh, seems like because digital services have a higher demand, uh, we've been, you know, investing in, you know, in bringing new talent to the firm and trying to provide a better user experience. So I suppose with um, with what you've just said, you know, hopefully we're going to talk, like I said before, um, a bit more about Cambista. Um, you know, we'll be touching on topics such as, well, one of our main topics, I suppose, is going to be um, talk about digital currency um, exchange and quite a lot of the things to do with that. So um, I suppose let's start it off with, could you explain what's different about the currency exchange market in Peru um, compared to, I suppose, the rest of the world? Um, yeah, the thing is, uh, Peru is basically, uh, I like to call it like a bi-currency country. We mainly operate with two currencies at the same time. So people are always thinking in terms of solis, which is our local currency. But the US dollar has had a very important role to play within our economy since the early 90s. Uh, I, I usually tend to associate this with the fact that we had a big like hyperinflationary scenario in the late 80s that made people um, lose a lot of uh, confidence in our local currency. And it's like this cultural shock that's been there since the early 80s in people's minds, even though like the funny thing is uh, Peru's central bank has actually been recognized multiple times during the last 10 years as one of the best central banks in the 
whole Latin American region, like our central bank president is always recognized as one of the best central bankers in the world. But you got this cultural effect in the back of people's minds are always making decisions, take, thinking on US dollars. So what's different then? Um, when I've talked about Cambista in, in different uh, areas of the world, they always think, oh, do Peruvians travel that much? Because people tend to associate currency exchange for uh, reasons like if you have to travel for something or are you in a foreign trade and you need to exchange money for it. But in Peru, people save uh, like, I think it's 40 or 45% of their savings in US dollars. People take mortgages in dollars. People uh, have their car loans, their rents in dollars. And also a lot of small medium enterprises that are associated with uh, the trade sector have a lot of income and expenses that they have to do in US dollars. So um, exchanging money is a big a part of an everyday personal decision-making process. And that creates a space in, in, that in our case, we try to fill, which uh, people every month need to exchange money to either pay their bills, either pay their loans, uh, companies that need to exchange money from dollars to solids to pay their payrolls. Um, and that's where we've tried to position ourselves as an essential part of uh, this SME and people um, decision-making process in their financial things, right? Uh, so that's the main difference, I would say. And this dollarization that we have, it's very persistent. It, it, I, it like it fluctuates, I think, between like 32 and 40%, depending on, on what year it is. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that's the main, the main difference we have. I mean, is there anything, um, I suppose, so, something for our listeners, um, just to clarify that we have, you know, people who have a lot of experience about fintech in general that tune into our podcast, but some of them are still learning. So could you just maybe explain where did the idea for our um, digital currency exchange come from? Yeah. So one of, our, one of my co-founders, he was living abroad um, in 2016, and he came back to Peru. And in Peru, we exchange money in three different ways. So the first one is through banks who basically they, they charge this like super high rate. The second one is through regular currency exchanges, which are uh, basically stores in the street where you have to take your money in cash and get it exchanged there and then take it back to, to the bank and deposit it in your account. And the third one is this um, um, thing called cambistas, uh, which are literally people in the streets that are standing with a best filled with money. So you go there and you say, hey, I wanna buy a hundred dollars and you would basically make the transaction in the corner of the street. Um, they would have the best trade available. So people would always use them and Peru started to experience a big surge in um, like um, insecurity in the streets in 2015, 2016. So you had people that had to make a decision, which is, am I going to risk my security and, and my safety to go outside and get a good rate? Um, or am I going to allow the banks to charge me 10 times more than what I would get in the streets? So, so we saw an opportunity there to try to provide an intermediate service where we would do the transaction via um, uh, transfers between bank, bank accounts instead of having people go on the streets, 
but try to match the price that they were getting with Cambistas or with uh, regular currency exchanges. So just to like just to clarify this, in Peru, everyone has uh, an account in everyone who is in the banking that has products in the banking industry has an account in both solids and dollars. So that made it easier for us to try to create this network of exchange between solids and dollars just using bank wires. So yeah, I think that's where the idea came from. I mean, if it all sounds um, quite an interesting process that's already happening, you know, for Cambista. And I think for a lot of our listeners, it's just something which we can kind of delve into more today, um, which kind of leads me on to my next question really is, how did Cambista start its operations? You know, you've touched on it um, just, you know, with what you've just talked about, but could, how has it, you know, start its operations without local reg regulations for FinTech? So as I said before, um, there was a high demand for exchange here in Peru. And even though there's not a direct regulation for FinTech as other Latin American countries, I think like Colombia, Mexico, and Uruguay are a little bit ahead of Peru in that sense. There is local regulation for traditional exchanges. And, you know, the difference between traditional and digital is that traditional exchanges, I mean, they have a physical office where they have, you know, certain security standards, but they work in cash. And the local regulations were orientated towards these traditional businesses. When around 2017, where digital currency exchanges started to enter the market, Cambista was the first, in fact, and these regulations could apply, this, local, this traditional or this local regulation could apply to this new business model. And that's how we started operating, following you know, some previous um, regulations that in a way had really a lot of things in common to our, our business model. I have, a, I have a fun story there. Uh, when we first started, as Carlos was saying, uh, the only regulation framework I would say that existed is this like physical currency exchange. So we went to get our permit and they were asking us to have this like store with uh, like a thick glass window and bars and, and like all the security measures. And mm -hmm. we were saying like, we're, we're not going to be storing cash. We, we just need a permit to have an office where there's going to be people working in computers. And the regulator didn't really understand it that much. So we had to work with them, explaining what they were trying, what we were trying to do. Good thing is they were open to it. So, so we were able to kind of like create this new kind of exchange, uh, which still doesn't really have a, like a regulate regulatory framework per se, but we were able to change their minds in that way. It was pretty challenging though, um, since uh, the regulator doesn't have anything specifically for you, you end up being in a tough spot in some way, I would say, uh, because you don't have regulation to protect you and you're trying to enter a market uh, where in Peru, at least you have these four big banks that control everything. So you're basically trying to fight by yourself against them you know, mm. we had some issues with that we still have some issues with some banks that do not want to work with us and they're not even open to listen to our 
our our pitch to them to say, hey, we're 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 safe. We even have sometimes like higher standards of security than what you do, but it's like it's still kind of difficult to enter the market in in that way because you have these big players and you don't have the backing of a regulatory framework that you're committed to and that you're complying with that that gives you some kind of of backing with them i think for me this all sounds you know rather fascinating because you do see the difference you know whether we are just talking about startup companies and the bigger companies how challenging it can be to try and maintain the goal that you have you know you can reach it but sometimes you have these little sort of speed bumps that happen along the way where you've got to try and not necessarily prove yourself but you can you know you can clearly show we know what we're doing we know you know how we can get there um but i guess yeah, you know for it's, sure it's kind like, of like trial and tribulation yeah it's like for us i always try to think of ourselves um we're a small company but the fact that we're small doesn't mean that we don't take things seriously. And that's mm -hmm. a, it sounds weird, but it's, it's a tough thing to make some of the incumbent firms in specific markets to understand. They, they see you as a small one and they think, they probably think, oh, they don't have any compliance procedures. They're gonna be a huge risk in terms of money laundering. They do not have uh, any mechanisms to prevent fraud or, or stuff like that. And one of our goals is to show people in the financial market that even though even though we're small, even though we've only been in the market for like three years, we take things seriously and we take a responsible approach towards it. So we can be trustworthy in order to start to build bridges that we can both benefit from. Fernando, my, my next question, you know, for either um, you or Carlos is um, how did local banks or financial institutions react to this um, new business model? Um, at first, like, I'm going to try to put this into perspective. So currency exchange for banks in Peru is uh, what I like to call easy money. You're basically not investing a lot of stuff. You're just moving people's money from one account to the other, but it has a huge margin attached to it. So at first, what we found was a lot of resistance uh, towards us. Uh, we actually got our bank, ac bank accounts closed in Peru's biggest bank like three months in. And it took us like two or two and a half months of uh, trying to explain them that we were not going to be using cash, that we had procedures in place to prevent uh, money laundering, that it was all online and all the benefits that came with that for them to be able to compromise in some way and let us um, and let us open our accounts again and keep on operating. The thing is, what we've been trying to, to show to financial institutions in Peru since we started is, we're not going after your customers. Like someone who already exchanges money with you has this risk reward balance that it's super risk averse. Like I don't wanna really, take my cash into the streets, even though they're going to charge me like 10 times less than what you're charging me and I'm going to do it with you. And that is a client that is so um, skewed towards uh, convenience or security that he's not going to take the risk with me either. What we were trying to show them is like, we're going for customers that are exchanging their money in the streets uh, that are not your customers in that way. And you actually have a lot of, a lot of stuff to gain with us. Like even from just from bypassing this, I'm withdrawing money from my account and going to the street and paying whatever I have to pay. There's a lot of data in terms of like credit scoring or, 
or to actually map uh, potential um, money laundering or fraud risks that you're missing just because you don't have that little uh, link in the chain of thought of your client. And so right now we're working with two of the main uh, banks in Peru. There's four big ones. Uh, the other two don't really wanna wanna work with us yet. They try to say that we don't really take like uh, anti-money laundering stuff seriously, which we do. <laughs> we mm. actually, we actually right now I would say, and, and Carlos is probably going to touch on this later. We were the first financial uh, firm in Peru, including banks and insurance companies, and 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 any of those to implement like a biometric identification for for our customers so we are we are actually at the forefront in in terms of like what we're trying to implement in our financial uh, company in terms of security measures that will help us with every of the policies that they say we don't have i would say it's an ongoing issue we we certainly hope that they will change their minds uh, soon and we keep on trying to work with them. But but yeah, it, it was tough, especially the thing is, um, I always try to think of this, like when, when you're a startup and you're entering and uh, especially the financial sector, which has this big economies of scale within the market and you have this like big conglomerates of firms that have insurance, have banking, have like pension funds, you're a little firm that's trying to go and fight against them. So their their market power is huge. And you gotta be super smart in, in terms of what your decision-making process is gonna be. And you gotta be prepared to basically endure anything. So that actually helped us to take stuff more seriously and to say, okay, they're doing, they're identifying their, their clients based on a token. Okay, we're gonna take it one step further and we're gonna do biometric because we gotta make sure that we are able to comply with anything that any other big firm is going to come and ask for us. So I suppose another thing which you've, you know, mentioned the um, the effects or, you know, something that you are trying to push through is, you know, another thing which I'm, it's going to, you know, I'm going to have to talk about it because it seems to be the hot topic of 2020 um, at the moment, which is um, how we are all being impacted from COVID. Um, how did um, COVID-19, you know, how how has it or has it had you know any effects um, in Cambista? It it did have some effect uh, from a purely operational point of view. We saw what was coming and we were already working remotely two weeks before the first lockdown that started in Peru. Oh, okay. Um, so that gave us like two weeks to be able to adapt to this new workflow to kind of test how our teams were going to be performing on a remote basis. Uh, it does have some challenges uh, that we're still dealing with in terms of like operating and like operating processes and not being able to have like meetings to discuss stuff that sometimes through a, a Zoom uh, meeting you can't get across. But in terms of business, it's actually been good for us, I would say. The thing is, uh, getting back to my earlier point, we were targeting people who go into the streets with cash money to exchange their money in cambistas or in currency exchanges. So with the first lockdown, those people were physically, literally physically unable to go outside and change, exchange their money. So we had a big, um, a big surge in customers after the first um, 
the first lockdown, we we do we have seen a couple of issues that this has brought. Like we have customers who are not transacting as regularly as they used to because basically they had income streams that are not coming in anymore or or they have had like their salary cut in some way. People are not traveling as much. So that has hit us a little bit. And also the fact that the currency, the exchange rate has like basically gone through the roof creates this uh, thing in customers' minds where it's like, oh, it's too high, I'm going to wait. It's too high, I'm going to wait. So you're only getting the transactions from people who need to pay something or need to be able to to meet some kind of uh, meet some kind of obligation that they they need to fulfill. All things considered, I would say that from a business point of view, it's been actually helpful for us. From an operating point of view, it's been challenging, and I'm pretty sure Carlos there is going to have some some more insight regarding all the the risks that the COVID nineteen um, context has bring uh, has brought towards uh, with the risk perspective of the business. Yes, from a compliance point of view, we had to reinforce our controls. In this COVID context, there's been a lot of, you know, a, a higher demand for digital services. But at the same time, there's uh, also a higher presence of fraud. So we did uh, strengthen our compliance controls. For example, we started sending PDF forms to certain clients to get more information uh, and provide a better KYC experience. Also, we also um, we also develop new channels of communications with our clients. So we um, worked in our app and we adapted the app so that it is able to send messages, direct messages to our clients through the app. And that's a big difference within other digital currency exchanges. We're the only one that we really can send direct messages to our clients. And another important part is in terms of customer service, uh, we've had to increase the amount of people in customer service. Uh, we want to provide an experience that is safe, but that in the end, it's a good customer experience. So, and, and, and this, these individuals that are in customer service, they need to understand the importance of compliance because when you're knowing your customer, you really, I mean, here in Peru, you have certain clients that could have, you know, a, a more risky economic activity or maybe they are located in certain regions where there's uh, a more a, a higher AML risk. So we've definitely had several challenges regarding compliance uh, with the COVID situation. So it sounds like you're really putting different changes or you know different ways which actually are working successfully at the moment to really meet the needs of your consumer your client um to still maintain like you said the direct messaging um which seems to be a significant change that you've had in light of covid um is there anything else you know obviously you have touched on quite a lot of them already but is there any um other main differences between cambista and other digital currency exchanges i do think that cambista takes um compliance in a more serious way. As Fernando said previously, some banks had the belief that we were not taking compliance seriously enough. And that's not true. Like we we, we are the first current the, the first digital currency exchange in Peru, but we are the first firm that applies biometric controls into our operation. We have Jumio uh, as a partner. So we've got 
their technology implemented into our onboarding process. And th th that's a really big difference when it comes to identity validation. We also have try to be, uh, we, we also have to, we also try to increase our presence in, you know, internationally. On July, we joined, we, we joined the uh, FinTech, FinCrime Exchange from FinTrail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in September, we also contributed with a presentation there. So this shows that we really have a consistent interest in compliance matters. You mentioned before um, that we were going to be talking a bit about, um, hopefully, Carlos, you explaining more about identity validation. Um, one of my final questions today, you know, what, what is the value of biometric controls during identity validation? And also with that question, is there anything else that you'd like to um, talk about today, which we haven't already? So there are two risks related to identity validation. The first one is related uh, to fraud. And what happens is that we're 100% digital. And if you compare us to local, well, to traditional businesses, how do you validate identity in a traditional business? Well, you just go there because they have an office and they see your face and you give your document. But how do you do that when you are 100% digital? Mm. So there's, there's the risk. And there's where you use the power of technology to mitigate this risk. Um, on the other hand, when it comes to compliance, local regulations could ask that you have processes to you know, verify the identity of your customers. And there's where technology provides you know, a, fast a fast and effective response in order to go to the regulator and say, hey, you know, I got, you know, technology helping me to validate the identity of my customer. So, so this takes you uh, in terms of fraud prevention and compliance to another level. It's great that obviously you, you've been able to explain to a lot of our listeners, you know, through all the questions that we've gone through today, you know, already it's a whole load of new information um, for a lot of our listeners that obviously are aware of your company and have hopefully found out more information today about what it is you do and how, I suppose how the year is going so far. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about today that we haven't talked about? Um, one last thing that might be interesting is, um, like for example, right now we're starting to or build new bridges with financial institutions. Uh, the thing is, as I said, we're uh, we're targeting people on the streets. So one of the things that I forgot to mention that might be interesting is that in Peru, even though everyone basically has a dollar in solids accounts only there's only 30 percent of people who are actually part of the financial system and have uh accounts in the banking sector so we we've actually had some big impact in some way where people want to come and they want to uh, start a transaction with us and they don't have accounts who are like oh yeah you need to open an account in a banking uh firm so we're in this uh, path, I would say, of helping to bring people into the system who were not necessarily a part of it before. But it, it, it has its pros and cons, I, I think. Like in, in our case, for example, yeah, first you have to convince people who, that you are their, their best alternative for exchanging. But then also you, there's a lot of people who you got to bring into the banking system and then you have to tell them, hey, you only have cash. You would have a certain advantages from having a banking account then you would have this other set of advantages from being digital and then from coming with me so that's 
that's one of the big areas of impact that we're uh, focusing on for 2021. Like try to use our service to lure more people into the system and to help like formalize a little bit more um, the whole financial sector in Peru. Well, I think, um, you know, with um, with everything that you've just talked about, you know, hopefully we see um, 2021 moving forward um, for Cambista to be a successful year. Obviously, um, you've proved already that with um, everything that's happened in 2020, you've been able to kind of, I suppose it's, it's a running theme at the moment, you know, on, on the podcast, we kind of talk about uh, startup companies and smaller businesses being able to survive and thrive um, in 2020. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm more excited for Cambista and how it's going to be um, moving forward, but I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Um, so yeah, um, Fernando and Carlos, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and um, hopefully this will be a great episode for our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you for the chance. Really Thanks, appreciate Charlotte. it.